Hello, my name is Isabella Johnston, and I am the Intern Whisperer, and I am sharing this week's tip of the week for all of our listeners. Why take personality assessments? It is important to know your personality type for professional reasons. Your personality type affects everything you do. So yes, it is tied to your work, your career, and your future. Many employers encourage people to take personality tests, and when it's done in a positive, supportive way, it helps with that person's development. This is a good thing. You may have seen introverted personalities and extroverted personality types stereotyped as either deep-thinking loners or extroverts as smooth talkers, but these stereotypes are misleading. That's because introversion and extroversion aren't really about social skills. They're really about how we get our energy and how we engage with our environment. So welcome, Renee. You, This is our guest this week is Renee Davenport. She is with the Age of Learning. I met her at the Future of Education, a Future of Technology and Education. No, Future of Education Technology. That's it. Yes, FETC. Yes. <laughs> It was my first time at the conference, and I was amazed at so much that was there. I am so delighted to have you as a guest on the show, so thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. It's nice to see you again. Likewise. So we usually talk about education, innovation, where they intersect, the future of the industries, in this case, education, and also jobs. So we usually kick off our show where we ask the guests, tell us five words that describe you and Mm -hmm. why. Sure. Um, I think the first one I'll start off with is is a learner. Um, my entire life, I love learning, and so I consider myself a lifelong learner, and uh, that has that's done me well um, across the years. I always want to know. I'm um, eager, and I think that's really contributed to me being able to have uh, the career I have right now and transitioning. Um, the other thing that um, is being positive always looking for um, the good in everything and, you know, trying to turn lemons into lemonade. I know that sounds a little corny, but I really believe being positive really contributes to all things in your career and in your confidence and all of that. So, um, and, and change, change is inevitable and having a positive attitude towards change really determines your ability to be successful because it will change whether you like it or not. Um, other thing for me is, is ethical. I really um, don't know that people think about that so much. Uh, not that they're doing bad things, but I liking that to my professional brand. And for me, that tells my story. And I think if people thought about that more and how they were perceived, um, I think it might change some things, you know, when you're in your workplace and really thinking about it from that perspective of what is your personal brand or your professional brand and what can you do to um, make that better or improve yourself? Always looking at that. Other is driven, (laughs) Um, you know, very driven. And um, being a driven person means that you set goals. And so I'm, I'm very much a goal setter. I'm very much a person too that, um, you know, I try to visualize um, where I want to be, what that might look like, what I want to learn. And so I'm a big believer in if you write it down, it'll happen. If you're always talking about things, um, a lot of times it'll be 10 years have gone by and you've really not done anything towards that goal. And so um, writing them down, having goals and, and really driving everything you do 
um, really makes a difference, gives you a lot of purpose and a path um, for what you want to do in life. I like your word choices quite a bit. And I, did you used to be a public classroom teacher by chance? I absolutely was. That's where I started my career. So um, education and teaching. Yes. (laughs) They are definitely embedded into who you are when you're describing that, because I can see, well, ethics, that's an obviously big, important part of being an educator. Continuous learning. When do we stop? That's what, you know, those Wednesday, at least in Seminole County, was like every week you have to go to some type of a continuing ed course, right? Yeah. And you also stressed a couple of other really good points that tie into what educators are, the heart of an educator. So um, the fact that you were driven, I think everybody in education is that you don't do it for the money, right? Nope. (laughs) Not at all. No, No. it's a very self, um, uh, it's it's very self-gratifying. It's like an individual sport almost to some degree, even though you have your your teaching mates and your your community around you, um, you really take responsibility for each and every one of those young minds that are been entrusted to you. That's a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. And um, I t- I've always taken that very seriously mm-hmm. uh, in my career. And that's why um, even though I've taken different roles, I'm still in education. That's my heart. Yeah. And you also mentioned goals too, because I think in education, we are accustomed to working in quarters. So Mm -hmm. we have nine weeks, we have to accomplish whatever this is. And every week you're always having to turn in something that's measurable. So education is key and you transitioned right on over into sales. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to, you know, getting your thoughts and suggestions on how people can see that as a real career path, because it's, to me, it's about relationships, but it's all good. Um, it is about relationships. Um, what I found is I love teaching. I would not change it. Uh, I learned so much. It was over 11 years. Um, but I also found too, that I needed new challenges. And I think that's very important too, is really being self-aware. Um, so being in the classroom, even though I love education, I always said that if I wasn't absolutely loving it, the kids would know kids are smart. Mm -hmm. And so, um, at that point, I started kind of exploring some different um, avenues um, professionally. And, and one of them was um, being what they call a content specialist. And so I started working for um, uh, McGraw-Hill as a trainer for them. So basically, um, I have a background in everything being an elementary teacher, but I really have been highly trained in reading. And so I had the pleasure of traveling all over um, the U.S. and training teachers on our products and how to use them effectively. So that was huge. Even though I've taught in many different states and many different grade levels, um, you learn so much from every one of those. You know, when you would go around and take a a little nugget and you just see how hard they were working. And so um, I really enjoyed that. And it's it's a hard it's a hard job. You're in airports spending the night, you're in different locations all the time. Um, and I learned a lot, but I also wanted to be in a little bit more, more control of um, what I was doing on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I got kicked out of a book club one time because I kept having to cancel because, <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't there. I would get a, you know, call and they'd be like, oh, you need to go train and da 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 da. So you'd have to drop everything and go. And um, what I also realized too is I I worked with sales reps 
And it was very strategic. Like everything we did, you had to learn the competition. You had to understand the processes. Um, and to, for me, it was another challenge. And so I took classes. I'm like, where can I take some sales classes? But I think the other thing that's really key too is I identified the reps that were very successful, that were very similar in mine. And I asked if I could ride with them. Hmm. So, interesting. Mm -hmm, I would go ride with them and, you know, eventually built up what I called was a portfolio. And then when sales jobs would come open, I would apply for them. And it took twice for me to apply when I finally convinced them that I had the chops to be a sales rep. A lot of people um, think if you're in education, you're, you can't transition. And that is, that's true for some. But I think there's some that transition very well because you're able to use all your skills and you understand their needs. You understand the day to day and you can actually use it to your benefit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you mentioned McGraw Hill, I know that some of our listeners may not know that's a publishing company mm -hmm. and that's significant because that was before we had social content. Yep. <laughs> and what is considered content is very, very different now. So mm -hmm. that's just so our listeners know where we are. Um, McGraw Hill, you know, people were, this is back when you and I were in school and it's really not that long ago either. When people were not having all of their textbooks available online, we had real books that we touched and the content was not only what is the syllabus, what is the material, the, you know, any of the lesson plans that go with it, but everything that was supplemental to it. So that's what made up content for us in education. Yeah, for a very long time, you know, yeah. on that one. Um, what we have in terms of digital assets right now, uh, I, I wonder sometimes, I thought I was a pretty good teacher, but if I would have what I have right now resource-wise and all the kids I could have, could have touched even more significantly, um, it, it's, been, it's been a very um, exciting, I think, change, especially in the last few years. Oh my goodness, yeah, because you can literally pull in the world into a classroom where even with augmented or virtual reality make learning come alive so that people feel it even more so. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, it's interesting when I was teaching, I, my first teaching job was in Texas and uh, Galveston, Texas. And I can remember, you know, being myself growing up in Southern Ohio and my family being in Kentucky, you travel a lot, you go to state to state, right. And you see all the different states. And I remember I was doing a little bit on geography and the kids had never left the state. No one in my class had ever left the state, Really, but they didn't have to, they traveled a lot in Texas. They had beach, they had desert, they had mountains. And I can remember bringing in things that over the years that I had from going to different States. And it was just so wonderful to see their minds kind of open up and be like, Texas, there are other places. I'm like, yes, there are. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> We can go and we can be that. And so now with digital, you can actually take them there. You can take them on virtual field trips so they can actually really see. And I think that's um, that's super powerful to mm -hmm. kind of bring the world into the classroom. Okay. I totally agree with you. You know, I tried to be an elementary school teacher because you just shared that you also did elementary ed. And when I was debating, I was an English major and I was going, oh no, it's going to be like English teacher. I'm going to go that route. And I went, you know what? I'm not sure. Maybe I want to be K through 12. I signed up to take one, only one 
early education course. And I went, this is nuts because everything, it was every week I was supposed to turn in handmade things that I could use to decorate a room. And I went, when am I really teaching? Because this looks like the full-time job to decorate a room every <laughs> month based on a month or a season or whatever, because I went, no, let me go over to middle and high school because I'll take those hormones any day over this. So God bless you for doing that, because I'm sure that that's got to be a challenge. I don't even know how was anybody able to do that? Because I, I think that a lot of that was before there was pre-made materials for us also. Uh, yeah, no, no, trust me. I was told that I think my whole salary went to the teacher supply store, which it probably did um, on that one. But, you know, I taught, uh, I taught first grade, third grade, fifth and sixth. So I kind of did the gamut. We, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. We moved a lot when, uh, with my, my ex-husband and he was in the building industry. And so we went where the building booms were and I always wanted to work. So I took whatever job was available, but in hindsight is the best thing I could have done because I could really see the different grade levels, like how they yeah. built upon each other. And some teachers teach the same grade level their entire life. I would highly recommend you not do that. There's a whole world out there of how you build upon for these kids, but I'm like you, I'm quite the opposite. I was teaching middle school and said, oh, please take me back to first or second grade. Um, I just have always been a believer in early education and building that strong foundation from day one has always been super important. Mm -hmm. I think if we do it right from the beginning, um, we could maybe eliminate other issues as they go further down uh, when they start to get into the higher grades and the standardized testing comes into play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can definitely understand what it is that you're saying there too. Uh, many of the issues though, I taught at risk. So my ability level levels were at risk, standard, um, honors level. And then sometimes I, I wasn't certified for gifted, but you know, I got to work with them in different ways, like the honors and the gifted kids, we put them together. So one of the, the benefits <laughs> to me of working with that particular age is, you know, that they don't always like you, but when they like you, I think that you really got to experience it so much more with elementary school. They love their teachers and they're always so happy and they hug you and love you. But one of the benefits of working with the middle and the high schoolers is that they're, they don't recognize that they're just um, kids and big bodies, you know, just yet. But they also, um, they love fiercely. And I can tell you, they still have that childlike quality um, before they get released into the world, yep. so to speak, where they go, no, I'm all about, you know, my group and my people. And there's still a lot of kindness in them, even though we've seen a lot of bullying in the yeah. world. But I've seen way more kindness from, from kids of all ages. And I have this little box of, I'm pretty, pretty sure you do, of notes and thing, messages that kids have written or things they made you. Do you have that? Oh, absolutely. I still have all the little, uh, I have a box, you know, the, the little Christmas gifts that we were given that mean, you know, so much to me. And I like the handmade ones, actually, mm -hmm. um, more than anything. And, and you're right. Um, you know, when I taught middle school, I taught it for two years. And um, I like teaching in general as whole, but um they really are still just kids and oh, yeah. they love discipline actually. They do. They absolutely do. And when you come in and you sit here and say, Hey, 
stop doing that right now. I remember um, middle schoolers, again, they would have fights in the hall because, again, I was teaching in the projects there. Um, the boys, I could come out and say something and they would like break it up. The girls, not so much. Did you experience that too? Because those emotions are going crazy in their bodies. They are. You know, it's interesting. I, I too was at middle school. I was teaching at a very high risk school. It was um, very different than how I grew up. And one thing I noticed is, and it's, it's kind of a, not a strange story, but um, the girls, because I, I was interested and I talked to them, they were almost my bodyguards for some of the other. Wow. Yeah, because, um, you know, they, you know, it was a very, um, you know, rough area. There were a lot of gangs and I really cared, you know, at night it was, I think one of the hardest things to teaching there was I was worried I was going to see them on the news. I really was because it was that level. But I noticed with the girls, um, if any girl was going to give me a problem, there were several other girls like, don't mess with Ms. D. She's okay. You know what I mean? And I think that's another thing too, um, of listening, not always lecturing, kind of listening, being a better listener has, has served me well too, and kind of hearing what's going on. So all of this is leading up to, I have a specific reason why I'm directing sure. in this conversation here is my best lessons of how to work with in the corporate world came from teaching because I knew when I went into a parent teacher conference, I better have my materials pulled together. I better know that that parent is coming in going, I'm, I'm coming for you because <laughs> my kid is perfect. You know, not all of them, but it, it was like, I knew I had to have my back and be super organized and be ready to make my case and say, so let's talk about this. The art of persuasion, the art of negotiation. You learn so much as a teacher that I think does translate into the role that you have with the the sales role that you have had in so many locations. So I think that it serves us well to be able to problem solve and do all kinds of things that are on the fly sometimes. I agree with you 100%. Um, I really, I like to hire teachers. Um, I do because, because they have a love of learning and mm -hmm. all the other things that you talked about. Um, if long, I can teach them. I can teach them the other things. I can't teach someone, um, though, you know, 10 years of classroom experience, but I can teach you how to sell. Mm -hmm. I can teach you how to do pipeline. I can teach you how to manage numbers. And I was very fortunate that I had a lot of people that mentored me when I said, I want to do this. I think the other thing too is, is though I asked for help. A lot of people don't do that. I sought out people that um, I respected and I knew I could learn from and ask them to teach me. And I think that, I think you're absolutely right. I, uh, a lot of times I'll be in meetings and I have other educators with me and we're like, like, I'm a good teacher. How can I do this? I know I can do this. Like I can, you know, teach them this. And I've always go back and go, adults are just big kids. Like mm -hmm. that's really what we are. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> They're just big kids. And I've, my, uh, my years in teaching and, and all those practices have really served me very well over the years. Yeah. I get my best lessons. I teach Sunday school to three-year-olds and oh, wow. I love, <laughs> I know, but that's like the whole end of the spectrum is the point by working with the three-year-olds. I sit here and I go, all right. So when they come into the room, they go, Miss Bella, you know, they're so happy to see me. I went, gosh, if everybody was like that in the world, how, how much better would this be? 
and then they come up to you. They're really good. They're intense with their communication. They, I've seen them be very inclusive. They go, Hey, here, you can play with this, but they also, you know, have to navigate emotions. And I sit here and I go, man, that is what every adult wants. They want to be seen, heard, respected, accepted. It, it, it's really, it's uh, it's not difficult um, if you really kind of stop and think, and I'm a big believer too, and treat people the way you want to be treated. If you just kind of keep those basic um, ideas and don't forget them, um, it, you'll be successful. You'll be able to achieve, you know, all of those things and, and have the ethics or your, your like, you know, I, I always talk to people about their professional brand. What do you want that to be? Think about that. I don't know if people ever thought about that really. And I just think it's so important. I've seen them teaching that more in colleges now, like in the Gen Z and millennial, there's been a focus on your personal brand. What is that? And how does that translate into the business world? So why don't you tell us more about what a brand is and how you've been able to explain that to others? When I look at a brand, you kind of, you know, and I think too, I also did marketing. So after my, you know, my sales, I was offered an opportunity to be, uh, to move to Manhattan and be a part of a team building a new reading program. And I knew I needed to learn things. And so I went into courses in pragmatic marketing and, you know, all of those things. And I think that's really kind of opened my eyes too. when I was in, when you're in sales, you think the world revolves around your little section of your sales territory and what you need is more important than everyone else's, you know, you kind of get in that mode, mm-hmm. but I did know I would need to learn the business, uh, the, the broader business um, and all of that. And so moving to New York, I learned so much, but that's where I really started looking at when I was responsible for the brand of the company and the launch of, of this uh, program and what, what did the message need to be? Um, what were the key components? I really always, that was huge for me. I started thinking about myself and um, what I wanted that to be when people see me or, you know, talk to me, what is their impression of what I stand for, what I do every day, why I do it. Um, and so for me, that, that brand is everything. It's, it's kind of like your billboard. Mm-hmm. Um, for life and the message that you want. Uh, when people talk about you, that's the first thing, you know, that comes out. So where'd you go to school? College, I mean. Um, I am a graduate of Ohio University, which is in Athens, Ohio, not, um, as they say, the Ohio State. So okay. I, just I know clear. there's a rivalry there. <laughs> Not for me, but uh, yeah. So um, I went to um, Ohio University, uh, loved it. Beautiful campus, um, absolutely gorgeous. Um, learned so much. It had one of the best teaching colleges and um, and I wanted to do that. Plus I wanted to be away from home, but not too far away from home. So I bought a couple hours from my family mm-hmm. on that one. And about 45 minutes from Columbus. Okay. I've never been to Ohio. I was born in Kansas, lived in Missouri, lived all over the U.S., but don't ever remember being in Ohio. So what did you major in? Uh, I majored in um, elementary education and a minor in science. Okay. That's funny because you said you really liked reading, but the minor was in science. The minor was in science because I started my career at Wright State, which was very close uh, to where I was at. And we had to take a lot of sciences. And so I have a brother and a sister, and um, we were all in college towards the end of my career. 
And we looked at my counselor and I really wanted to go major in reading, but I had so much science. My dad was like, your minor's in science. So <laughs> for me to graduate on time, just fine. I went back then and added to my reading curriculum. But I, um, I actually enjoy science very much. And I think um, a lot of teachers kind of shy away from it, but I really liked always incorporating it into my lessons. So um, that's how a little story about the science. <laughs> yeah, tell us how you did that. Because like yourself, I have a love of science too. And I, I don't know it any, anymore, but I memorized the periodical table. I loved astronomy. <clears throat> a lot of the courses that I would take as electives were, you know, biology and astronomy and just any chemistry I liked because they're all very hands-on normally. They're all very hands-on and there's not a lot of, you know, there is more now, but especially in science with females, you know, that's, that's up and coming on that one. And so one thing, um, you know, that I've always learned is, to make sure that everyone believes they can do whatever they want to do there, mm -hmm. you know, for me, that's hugely important. And so, you know, when you talked about doing the decorating the room or whatever, my room was always based on themes. Everything was thematic and everything that we did from math, reading, science, social studies, all kind of wrapped around this, this theme so that they could make those real life connections. Mm -hmm. And um, that really was helpful to the kids when, you know, why do we need to learn this? Well, because of this, this, and this, they mm -hmm. all go together, you know, in life. And so actually science is one of the easiest things uh, to incorporate if you enjoy it. So, mm -hmm. and the kids always love it. I had a same love for art, uh, just about, I graduated, first two years, University of Florida, I switched over to Rollins College here in Orlando, and it's a liberal studies school. So every elective I could possibly take was in art. So aside from science, it was art. At University of Florida, it was all science classes as any electives I could take. Um, the art side, I definitely embraced that one. One of the things that I did in the classroom is even though I, I wasn't doing like all cutting out the things, I this is back in the day when people had newspapers too, which is not that long ago again. <laughs> but anyway, I would go over to the newspaper, get a remnant roll of newspaper and put it up on the walls and then let the kids draw, you know, every one of my periods um, that, you know, first, second, third, all of those, they could have their own wall of art. But the rules were nothing that was profanity, no slamming people, had to be positive, had to be encouraging. And, you know, we had a lot of fun with it. But I also uh, brought in how money equates to what we're doing in the classroom because I took um, an in-service and it was built around how economics can be integrated. So I'll save that for another time, but I think you and I have very similar. Well, I don't know. I think all educators were all kind of like this. You know, how do we create applicable, right? You have to be creative and you, I don't want to say trick them, but a lot of times it's best that they don't you even realize what they're them. learning. You got to hook them. And yeah. then the learning becomes just organic and yeah. they don't even realize they're learning and that's how you build that, that love of learning and make it a positive experience um, from early on. Mm -hmm. And so making the room theirs, that's huge. You know what I mean? This is our room. This is our community. How are we going to make this the best community ever? You know, giving responsibility. Kids can do a lot more than what people think they can do. And if you give them the opportunity to do that, they'll just grow. Mm -hmm.
And, and I'm going to push that needle forward because now we work with adults and you were in adult training also. So if we help our adult learners tap into, okay, let's get that little creative three, five, you know, whatever it is, 10 year old out of you. And then they can still set the whole world on fire. The passion is there, but it's kind of like we've been, you know, oh, well, this is how I'm supposed to be working in the workplace. So we kind of put ourselves in the box, I think ourselves, rather than let us think outside of the box. It's, I know, an antiquated phrase, but. No, I, um, I actually, I'm a huge believer in that. Um, and, and not so much out of the box, but I find that um, a lot of times when I went into leadership roles, I really kind of looked at what, what do good leaders do? You know what I mean? And, and from that, and when, you know, one is, you know, lead by example, which really goes back to that personal brand again. But the other thing that I realized very quickly is, and you have to be confident to be able to do this, but you surround yourself with people that know things that you don't know as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or that think differently. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that and bringing in a team and bringing in everyone for a, not a specific reason, but for a talent or something that they do that the entire team can utilize, that's really opening up that box. And that really creates what I consider a team because they're all contributing in their own way, but everyone's benefiting. I joke and tell everybody, you don't want 20 of me running around because the outcomes won't change. I'm really interested in um, looking at things differently, creating different paths. Just because you did it that way forever doesn't mean it's the right way to do it now. Mm-hmm. Let's, like you did, think outside the box, be creative. What if I told you you had no restrictions? What would be how you would, as I'm building a sales team right now, it's been a lot of fun, but with my directors building an inside sales team, how'd you do it in the past? How'd that work? Well, not so much here, not so much there. What would you change? Well, maybe this or maybe that. Build me a team that you think how it would work if you're designing it. And then let's talk through that. And so that's a, that's a big piece too, is really not putting a lot of guardrails around them, really encouraging the outside the box. Mm-hmm. I had this one assistant principal and what you're describing reminds me of uh, Dee Schumacher. She was this assistant principal and she always thought differently. She could walk into anybody's room and go, well, and the kids are hanging from the ceiling or something's going on. It's like chaos. It looks like she goes, now this is an interesting learning methodology. Can you tell me what's going on in here? Yeah. <laughs> now, really, maybe she was going, this looks like chaos, but yep. you know, I'm going to give you the benefit, right? Right. Yeah. And there might be, you know what I mean? I, um, you know, when I was teaching, um, I never had a desk in my classroom. Like I didn't need a desk because I was never at my desk. And so I wanted that space for the kids. So everything was put into groupings, collaborative. And I was always working, you know, around the room. And so that was a little different. And, um, you know, people would come in and be like, where's your desk? I don't need a desk. Do you know what I mean? And my room was never quiet. Mm-hmm. But it also wasn't even during exams, like you gave them a test. It was quiet then, right? It, yeah. When we're trying to do an assessment or something, but on day-to-day, everyday activity, you would hear talking, but it would be educational talking. They would be supporting each other. Learning was taking place. I really hated to go in a room where the desks were in rows and you couldn't look or, you know what I mean? And you had your, that's, that was not my style you know, on that one. And so really kind of teaching them to be um, a self-starter and self-sufficient and self-manage. They only do that if they're given the opportunity to do it. 
Oh, yeah, that's really, really valuable, especially when you have different, as you well know, different ability levels. You know, it's still a full spectrum. You know, you'd have the at risk, you'd have standard level and then honors. I mean, that was how we segmented. Right. And Mm -hmm. even still one of my and I'd love to hear your most favorite success story. I had this one student um, first gen. He was from India over here. He said, I need to get out of this class. He was in basic. Uh, He said, I, to be able to move up into honors. And I said, well, I can't skip you to honors, but I tell you what, if you make an A this semester, I'll sign off for you to be able to move up to the next level. And sure enough, he did an A first semester or the semester. He did A first quarter, A second quarter. I signed off. He was able to, he really wanted to transfer out. So I'm going to let him. And, you know, because a teacher's approval is everything, you know, that's, you well know. So he got to move up to standard. He finished that for the rest of the semester. The next year he moved up into honors level and he came to me at graduation and said, Hey, because of you gave me that chance, I'm graduating with honors and I am the first gen going to college. And those are the stories that you love to hear. I'm sure you have some great stories too. What's your favorite one? I do have several. Um, I think one that uh, is really special to me is when I was teaching third grade. And, you know, that's such a big grade for them. They have their standardized testing for the first time. And, and to be honest, too, with the at the time, the way the edu- educational system was kind of scored, not only say scored, or the children were assessed, they might have been getting E's, which were excellent, da, 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 da. and then you get to third grade and you actually start doing this standardized test and you uh oh, I, I can't read on grade level. Mm-hmm. And so I had a, a girl student um, that was like that, sweet as she could be. Um, and I I worked extra after um, school tutoring for free. There were several kids actually, but the reason why she stood out was um, all she stayed in contact with me through all the years, and she is now an educator. That is so rewarding. I am still, she, I'm on LinkedIn with her um, and she really contributes um, her. And I was friends with her first grade teacher um, and myself of, if you go the extra mile, just a little bit, it makes such a huge difference. And she always wanted to pay that forward. And she's, she she sends me pictures. She's an amazing teacher. And I think it's, um, you don't realize how impact. I always wanted to, you know, I, I understood, but it's not until you get a story like that, or the kids still find you and tell you, Hey, I'm so-and-so now doing whatever I want to do. And I think, again, I think it goes back to the personal brand again. If you really think about the impact you can have, you don't think it's a lot. It may be just enough to make a difference in that life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the fact that you keep pulling us back to this, this personal brand, because, you know, it can have different, the word can change over whatever generations, whatever you want to call it, but it's what you're really describing is that you need to care about people. And it doesn't matter. That should be part of everybody's personal brand is like, um, I'm a spiritual person, you know, in my relationship with, with God. And I believe that we are all here on earth, um, to be in a relationship with one another, to, to support each other and encourage each other. And I feel like if we remember those things, those, again, it goes back to like those five words that describe you. That's always the core of a person and how they see themselves. I feel like it's really, 
insightful with what they value in life. Um, it does lead back to, you know, people and positivity is what I've seen. I ask that question so much every time, every week, and it's always a very positive experience. I find it. I agree 100%. Um, and you might, I think, I think karma is a real thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, on that, yeah. and so, um, you know, and, and words matter, words matter, actions matter. And so, you know, when you're much younger, um, and a lot of this comes with age, unfortunately, everyone, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, where you really look at the big picture and you think about, I don't have to win every battle. You know what? I, I, these are the things that really are important and I care about. I will stand up for those, but there are other things you just, you know, try to be a little more flexible, um, and, and work it out. Um, but all those things come with time, unfortunately, you know what I mean? Um, on that one, but if you're able to do that and really just honestly, just wake up every day and try to help people actually, mm-hmm. um, that's a big thing, um, with mentoring is, is paying it forward. I've been very fortunate and I know that I I've worked hard, but I also, um, people gave me a chance and I'm really, um, I like doing that. Um, and giving people a chance, you know, I, I can give you the tools, but it's kind of up to you to take it to where you want it to go. And, uh, if you just kind of do that and and give a little bit, it just, it's so empowering Mm -hmm. across the board. I, when I met you at the conference, um, Mm -hmm. you're, you're with age of learning. First off, what drew me to that particular, um, you know, room that you guys had for the event was, it was all like elementary school. It was primary colors. There was lots of, you know, interaction and everything. And the signage outside just drew me. And I went, I don't know what this is, but I want to know more. And then I also love the name itself, age of learning, because I think it's, it speaks to, we're always learning, just like you said at the very beginning, when you were describing yourself, um, we all need to be continuous learners. Life is moving like this. Um, there is, I don't think there is a separation between work and uh, there is no work balance or home life balance anymore. It's like, I I believe there's even going to be a place where we go back into the work office because I want to get away from being at home. I'm not meaning to be like random all over the place, but tell us about age of learning and why you chose that company, because I was so impressed with it. And I loved every piece of marketing. I brought it back and went, I want to do this in my company. This company is brilliant. Um, I am, I'm again, very fortunate. I, I, I understand um, things, you know, you talked about, I have been with, um, larger companies. I've been with, um, McGraw Hill and I've been with Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, two of the largest educational, uh, companies for, I mean, HMH over a hundred years, you know, basically on that one. And I learned a lot in each one of those. I really learned the business at McGraw Hill. I really honed in on my leadership skills at HMH because of the positions I took. But after doing that for so many years, I really wanted um, to be in an environment that was had the same beliefs that I did and was very mission-driven. And so when Age of Learning reached out to me that um, you know, every they're ABC Mouse, if you don't know that. They're the creators of ABC Mouse. Um, but they had been working on a mastery approach to learning, which really is being uh, child-centered, which speaks to me and what I believe. And they had been in research and development over five years. 
um, and they want to get this out into the, what we would call the pre-K-12 market, which is what I've been doing for many, many years. And met with the company. Um, they you know, said, it's amazing. It's got all this technology. And I've been doing this so long. There's degrees of adaptive technology. I, mean, I had a lot of questions. And they opened up everything to me and, and showed me all the work and the research and the thoughtfulness that they had put in to these products or these programs or resources um, that were completely focused on pre-K through second grade. Now we have plans to grow, but no, no company now, really a lot of these companies, they do not focus on the early ed. They wait until third grade when you have that aha moment, right? Where I'm behind grade level and they create programs. Our philosophy is in the mission really spoke to me is helping children everywhere build a strong foundation for academic success and a lifelong love of learning. Mm, I love that because here's the thing. I know you're absolutely right. The company is absolutely right. We know way too much as educators and that research supports that the most adaptive learning time is, you know, birth to five, six years old. And if you're putting all of that good energy into teaching good values, you know, things that truly matter and in developing that love of learning, it becomes something that does carry over into third grade. I think that even still that educators in those formative years can, can probably, I don't know if there's research on this or not, um, but be able to even break some of the environmental factors that can be, you know, hurting a child. Like if they come from poverty or, or, you know, some bad parenting. And I don't mean it in that way. I mean, just like unfortunate situations. So I don't know if you have that kind of research, but I would love to see that kind of a study that's out there that really is, is demonstrating that, you know, this super supportive nurturing role in education can mm -hmm. even overcome some of the environmental factors of a child's life. I don't know that we have anything specific on environment, but one thing that I, I really love about the company too is just our whole approach to the child and being what we call child-centered. Mm -hmm. And so I think I spoke to you about this a little bit. Um, a lot of the programs over the years, um, state standards kind of drove or common core standards. And you right. would look at the standards and you would build programs based on that standard. Standards aren't bad, but they're not perfect. Mm -hmm. And if you step back and take an approach of what does the child need? Mm -hmm. What is appropriate from a cognitive level, right? Developmentally to actually build the strong foundation, our approach that we've done actually at times covers more than the standard because we know it's necessary to build the foundation. Mm -hmm. That approach was very interesting and different to me. And so by doing this, by coming over to the program, I was so excited to be excited about a program. But then the other aspect is exactly what you're saying. So when we're talking about the whole child and we do have research on, uh, we have thought papers on this. We um, are wonderful scientists that I get the pleasure of working with and researchers have um, developed something they call the personalized mastery learning ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And we do have a lot of research on that. And really what that means is, is that the child's in the center and we think about everything that needs to be around the child to support the child. 
And one of those really key elements for us that we take into consideration is the families and the caregivers of these children. Mm -hmm. What tools do we need to provide to them to support the child's learning? In addition to high quality resources and instruction, um, all based on research, learning sciences, all of those things together, working together and communicating. So we're really working. Um, the other thing for me at Age of Learning is it's all technology. I really wanted to be in an ed tech space. And I think there's a lot of value that we have learned over the last two years um, from technology. I am still a firm believer, though. The technology is a tool. The teacher is the facilitator. Mm -hmm. The teacher yes. is the child more than anyone. But if we can give that teacher tools to give them the information they need to continue to support that student, that's what we do at Age of Learning. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what's different. Yeah, that is beautiful, too, because it's we know that as we continue to move into the future, that learning is becoming uh, more customized and, and that's where it should be because even though we group people into ability levels or other categories that they fall into demographics, it kind of is still taking us back to the old school days of one classroom where all of the other grades are, you know, co-social learning you know, is definitely being present. You mentioned mentoring too. And I'm a big fan of peer and reverse mentoring, servant leadership. Um, a lot of the things that I do in Employers for Change is all focused on that. And the ability to accelerate what the learning process is, breaking some of those cognitive uh, behaviors that have been formed over years and coming in with a new mindset. I, I refer to it as multidimensional learning because it's still taking a holistic approach to the person, but there's a lot of dimensions when you get a little bit older and you have to break through some of those walls. It's a little bit Yeah. If you're, if you aren't given a foundation, which is what we're trying to do, that really builds your self-confidence as a learner, that's hugely important. Um, and that's one reason why we started with math first. We know that there's a lot of this apprehension around math. I'm oh. not a math person. I'm yeah. not this. Anyone can be a mathematician. Mm -hmm. They just need the, the skills and the confidence to know they can be a mathematician. And then all of that transfers into all other, you know, kind of learning that they're doing. And if you build that confidence from the get-go, I mean, my dream would be, I know it's kind of far-fetched, but I mean, if we build the strong foundation, we could eliminate intervention. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Yes, it would. Yeah. You know, on that one. And so, you know, that's, that's what, I, that's what we're striving for. You know, mm -hmm. what I, what I get up every day and do, and I, I love what I do. Um, and I, I love, um, I really believe this product can make a huge difference mm -hmm. across the United States and, and other places. I was impressed with it also when, you know, and I read through uh, all of the marketing material that, you know, I walked out of your, your, your room. It wasn't a booth. It was a giant room, you know, <laughs> so at the convention center and I went, wow, this is really good stuff that's in here. Um, the white papers, the research that was behind it, it definitely all had rigor there. Uh, what I believe that can happen is through that approach. I love that math is the, the key thing because I work with so many adults too. And I said, so let's talk about English teacher. And I used to be, I convinced myself I was bad at math and my dad was a math wizard and yeah. it was really intimidating. I'm going to tell you. So over on this side of me, I used to say, no, I'm not good at math, but I switched my thinking here in the past 
I don't know, 10, 10 years now. And I yeah. said, oh, I am great at math. And now I sit here and I can do percentages and fractions and I'm going, all oh, right. It, so you are absolutely right. You know, anybody can do this, but it does require that you believe that yes, that you can do it. You can't just say no. Uh, yes, I can. I can do this. Yep. It's a, it's definitely a growth mindset, which is what we really try to strive for um, with the students. And, you know, I'm like you, I kind of coined myself, you know, I, I love literature and, and reading and the arts and everything, but then I find myself in what I do now, I am doing numbers all day long. Oh yeah. You're in sales. You're supposed to. <laughs> I'm in sales and I'm doing numbers and now I also have a love for that. Like, how can I forecast better? How can I do this better? What if I looked at it from this perspective? How can I, you know, increase my attachment rate? Like all these things. Um, if you, my, my parents would look at me and go like, we don't even know who you are anymore, but yeah. it's like, we just see this person that just, you know, kind of blossomed growing and yeah, growing. They, they really, you know, and I did too. I thought I would go into teaching and I would retire a teacher. And um, it's just, just amazing when you're open and willing to take risks. I think that's another big thing too. Don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that you are a teacher. You still are a teacher. And what you're doing is you're teaching at scale because you're able to take a product that reaches way more people than the the 24 students we had in the classroom and you multiply that by five or six times, however many times you had them. I know you were teaching all subjects over there in elementary, but as an English teacher, I would have five, six sections, depending on how many periods in the day they gave me. And it would be like 200 students. Well, now I know I can reach way more people and is my company so that, yeah, we're always teachers. I don't think we ever stop being the teacher. I, I know I don't, I get teased a lot. Um, we were doing a, a PD session somewhere or whatever, and we were talking about how, and this is a great example. You know, if you go into the math standards, you don't, uh, they don't teach counting backwards. Well, if you kind of liken that to a skill, it's why kids can't count back money. So have you ever been in a, oh in a gosh, I never you know, thought about that. Yeah. So you, so you see the connections. Yeah. So I cannot tell you how many times, um, that, you know, I've been somewhere in, the, the computer crashed. Well, I don't know how much change to give. Mm -hmm. Let me show you something. And their minds are blown when I teach them how to count back change. Mm -hmm. and they go, that's a really great trick. And I'm like, it's not a trick. It's math. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And uh, so it's a joke. My, my, my daughter's always like, do you always feel like you have to teach somebody? I'm like, well, if the opportunity arises, it's called a teachable moment and I'm going to grab it. I don't care where you are. You know, let me show you how to do that. And so it's, it's a, uh, it's a joke with my family, actually, that uh, I feel like I need to teach everybody. I don't know. I, I do it all the time too. And it doesn't bother me anymore. I just sit here and I go, no, I'm, this is who I am. I'm okay with it now. And I'm, I'm good with it. I think that, you know, that saying that those who can do, and those that can't teach, I said, who thought that up? Because somebody had to teach that person. That's just like a slap in the face. I don't think that was a good quote, honestly. It's not. And I think one of the positives, as, as you know, I'm always looking for the positive. I think one thing that um, COVID really bubbled up is how hard it is to be an educator. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. And I'm, I'm hopeful um, we're, 
we're really, we're in a shortage. We're in a crisis situation in the United States right now with educators. I mean, I was reading an article where New Mexico actually had to bring in National Guard to teach classes. They didn't have enough people to teach the classes. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's one of the most important professions that we have. Um, I'm hopeful in the future that it'll be a more respected profession. It'll be a profession that you can do and be able to take care of your family. That's another thing, you know, when you're looking at, you know, pay, but part of what I want to do, what I do now is, is giving them the tools that enable them to be able to reach as many kids. I mean, what's interesting about the company I'm with now is yes, I have to report up sales and numbers, but it's asked in a way of how many kids did you reach today, Renee? Mm which is very different. And it's very refreshing for me to kind of be with an organization that really, in my mind, walks the walk Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of what we do every day from our commercial business to our school's business, to our foundation that's actually um, works and does philanthropy all over the world. We're partnered with UNICEF. And so it's really at at the stage of my career, being able to be at a place where um, uh, we have shared a shared vision, which I think is really nice. Mm, That is so true. I can support that. We're going to take just a few minutes to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. So here we are, back to our show. This part of the show is all about the future of jobs and our industry in 2030. So Renee, This is just an open dialogue, to be honest. None of us have the crystal ball. We're not able to sit here and go, oh, yeah, that's what it's going to be like. But we do know what we have now access to, which is automations that are just like off the, you know, whatever the cuff. It's crazy. And then we also have robots and augmented reality and virtual reality. Personally, I think holograms are going to be coming into vogue at some point in time. Think Star Trek. So, you know, like, what is it that you think um, the future of education will look like and potentially jobs? Because we were talking about teachers and how COVID has had an impact. Personally, when I go and look at uh, the research, it says that HR and education are the top 10 career paths even with COVID, because people are having to sit here and figure this out. And while some will be frustrated with it and with the, um, certainly the pay grade, but also now this remote distance learning, it's, it's a challenge, but I, I have a lot of faith in our profession. I believe that they're going to figure this out, how to make this feel. And that's the key verb there feel like it is very relational. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, when you look at the last two years, for me, I appreciate change. I think with change, there comes uh, growth um, on that one. And in education, we needed, you know, this type of growth or push. I've been in doing this for, you know, I've been in the business over 25 years from a teaching or whatever. And all over the US. And, you know, everyone is there trying to do their best. But, you know, when you have all these beautiful digital resources, yet still in the US, you have rural areas with no internet, the children didn't have any devices. And that's the world we live in. And so from COVID, it really forced us to invest, which is what we needed to do. Mm -hmm. We needed to invest in our educational system, we needed to invest in our children. And so, a lot more infrastructure has been built 
devices have been purchased. Now we need to focus on quality resources, which is one reason why I'm with Age of Learning, but also teaching teachers differently on how that can look. It's not one size fits all anymore. It shouldn't be. It doesn't have to be a brick and mortar. It can be a combination. Um, and I think that's going to give us great flexibility in the workplace and from you know bringing in talent of different areas. I think that's one thing that intrigued me about Age of Learning is they went to get the best of the best. And so taking what we do and working with um, people who build the games, like you're talking about the, mm-hmm. the, um, in virtual environments and translating that, fascinating. But that's how we have student engagement. That's what we've got to do. And so I see potential. I see everything that you spoke about as a tool, never to replace. I completely don't, you know, there still needs to be an education, the collaboration, the um, the facilitator, whatever that's looking like from that educator. But if we can empower them with the tools to do their job better, that's our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that um, I've seen some things with robots. Uh, I don't see robots taking anybody's place in the world. I feel like it's like yep. you were saying, it's a supplemental, it's a tool. Um, the same applies for AI. I don't think that there's going to be some great, whatever, you know, machine that is out there that is uh, taking away from, from teachers. Again, all of those things are invented by people. Science fiction, the beauty of science fiction is that it, it, creates this place of, well, can we have that? And then a lot of those things end up coming into fruition in life. I think that COVID, as we've been talking about it, um, probably has helped parents to be way more appreciative of the teachers and sit here and go, oh, they are not babysitters. This is hard what they do. So hopefully we could see that even increase um, salaries for teachers. It is usually based on taxes, you know, whatever your tax tax base is, but there's got to be ways to improve those things. I agree. I agree 100%. I think, um, you know, now with parents, you know, if they had an option of virtual or they're like, no, we want them in school. Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing like that. But, you know, one thing too is it's, um, it's really important for, from a social emotional aspect of our children right now. So what we're seeing right now too is of children with, um, I never want to say learning loss because it was never had it's learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing teachers are facing a lot of challenges. Now they have kids coming in that have never been in a preschool environment or a school environment. They don't know how to interact. And so in addition to trying to teach them the skills, they're also trying to teach them social, emotional interaction skills, collaboration, um, all these things. So the job is, is big. It's a big job. Yeah. Here. Um, and so giving them the tools to be able to help that is, is something that, you know, we at Age of Learning are committed to and continuing to, you know, doing to support them. Um, but uh, I think, like you said, uh, pandemic never, never good, but I think it really pushed us too to think outside the box like we talked about mm-hmm. um, previously in a pre-K, uh, technology was a, a no-no. Now they're seeing the value using it as a tool, not a replacement 
Mm-hmm. But it has to be in concert with everything else they're doing with yes. all the tactile things that they do, which is, which was really supports the learning. So how can people, our listeners reach out to you? Uh, we supply everybody the LinkedIn profile for sure. So we've got that in there, but we also gave the website. Is there anything else that you would like people to reach out to you or age of learning? Um, you can go to our website. Age of Learning has our own LinkedIn also. You can just actually put in Age of Learning. It pops right up. Uh, Reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can actually find me on our pages. I'm listed under the Vice President of Sales. Um, Love to hear from you. Um, Again, we're always looking for um, talent and, uh, you know, people that have our common goals. All right. Well, I want to say thank you, Renee. And um, before we say goodbye, I also want to say thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, our production team, video interns, Chase McDowell, David Ullman, Efren Hueves, and Keisha Perez. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd and sound effects by Eric Peterson, Matt Miller, Dave Francis, and Miguel Centra. Visit employers the number four change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion culture while scaling your people for the future. Renee, thank you so much. This has been delightful. Thank you too. And it was great talking and seeing you again. Oh, yeah, the feeling is so mutual.